Turn your Bibles, if you will, over to John chapter 20. Oh, it's Easter. Everybody's looking so pretty this morning. Raise your hand if you got something new on this morning. Something new. Get it up high. Be proud. I got a new tie. I uh, got it for my birthday in January. But, you know, when it's uh, got about four feet of snow in Nebraska and the skies are usually dark most of the time, yellow just doesn't seem to work. So here in sunny Southern California on Easter, it's time to break out the yellow tie. Amen? You know, you guys need to just be praising God you live in Southern California. I had to buy a snowblower this year. The snow was uh, starting to defeat me. I was starting to get, uh, you know, discouraged and maybe even a little bit bitter that I was uh, living here and Mike is living here where you are. And yet I got that snowblower from uh, the hardware store and I got a little bummed out that winter ended because I loved going out there and blowing away that snow. So you can be happy wherever God puts you, as long as you have the right equipment. (laughs) Toro's my friend. Easter. It's the most sacred holiday for us as Christians. This should not just be another day. This should be one of the most memorable, time-marking events One of the most significant moments in time for your life. I've been looking forward to this sermon all weekend because this is the great news. Not just the good news, but the great news of Jesus Christ. They're afraid I'm going to step on that. All right, get that thing out of my way. Thank you, Jake. I love you. most sacred holiday. It's really why I'm a Christian. When I was a freshman in college at Colorado School of Mines, I had a philosophy class and we studied all different philosophies and all different religions. And I thought maybe I had been indoctrinated as a a young man to be a Christian and I was rethinking that. I was just exploring all avenues and all opportunities in my life. And I decided that Christianity really is different. There is one fact that really makes it stand apart. And that is that Jesus, unlike all the other teachers and philosophies, says, I came from heaven, the place you want to go. I came to earth. I gave you my teaching. I lived a perfect life. And then I did something no one else has ever done for you. On Good Friday, I died for you. I sacrificed myself. My life, my future, I risk everything to take on your sins and to go to hell. To see who would win, good or evil. God or Satan. I was willing to trust my Father to experience that death for the world. For my Father's creation. And the darkness came over all the land. The curtain in the temple split. The earth shook and the floor of the temple was cracked. And for a a couple of days, everyone in the world knew something had changed. 
Things weren't stable. There was chaos again. Things weren't right. Some of us experience the same thing in our lives. Certain societies at different times have experienced the same thing. When it didn't seem like good was winning out, but evil was winning out. In Cambodia, under the Khmer Rouge, people thought something spiritually wrong. When children, when teenagers are running the country and killing everyone. People felt that way in Russia. When Lenin came to power and just wiped out millions and millions and millions of people. People felt that way in Nazi Germany, and especially the other parts of Europe when Hitler had taken over, and people were in fear, living in fear. When evil is getting the upper hand, something's not right in the world. And for that couple of days when the Lord was in the grave battling evil, everyone wondered with anticipation, would things be set right again? Would the sun come up in the morning? Little orphan Annie thinks it always does. But without the resurrection, the sun wouldn't have come up this morning. There would still be darkness over the land. Without the resurrection, evil would dominate. How would you like here in L.A. to be under gang control all the time? There'd be no order. There'd be no peace. There'd be no right and wrong. But how would you like for gangs to run every community? How would you like for evil to have the day? Praise God for the resurrection of Jesus Christ. Praise God for the passion of Christ, and that the Lord is alive this morning. Amen? So we can wear our yellow ties and pretty bonnets and pink ribbons. Amen? That the sun will come up and we can sing with little orphan Annie. Amen? Awesome. You know, without the Lord, there's entropy in the world. The signs of entropy in your life, meaning things aren't right in your life, are a tendency towards being superficial. And that means people that are superficial, what you need to see is below that surface there's pain so they can't go deep because all that comes out then is pain. Unresolved relationship tension in a person makes people pull back. Anybody that you know that's distant this morning, that that can't connect, can't get close, there's relationship conflict that they have never resolved. Sometimes it's towards a parent. Sometimes it's towards someone that abused them while they were growing up. But they're just distant people. They've got to resolve that conflict. If there's an inability to celebrate, if you can't be happy this morning, if you just are a sad, sour, sullen, sober person, then it means to me that you have that inability to celebrate because you don't really know joy. If there's a lack of gratitude, if you just gave this morning begrudgingly, if you don't like accountability for gratitude, then if you you just are a discontent person and you're critical, God help your family, 
God help your neighbors. God help your Bible study group. God help your boss, your co-workers. But it's a lack of gratitude. If there's chronic guilt, and I see this so much, people just, they're just plagued with it. They don't know that they can be forgiven. Well, this, this morning as we talk about the resurrection, I want those of you with chronic guilt to get healed. Amen? We're going to have a healing this morning, alright? You brought in the corn husker, the husker from Nebraska to help you to be healed this morning, okay? We're going to heal you. Talk to me, church, alright? Work with me. The guys have put so much pressure on me. You know, one of the college kids comes up, you know, you're going to have a lot bigger crowd this morning. I hope you don't blow it. You know, do, do, you know, my best friend, one of my best friends, Mike, last night says, you know, it's been pretty good, but I, re- you know, really hope it's good, better tomorrow. You know, you know, that's why you just can't care about what anybody thinks but the Lord. You know, when you don't even, your best friends just are barely supporting you. You know, they're sitting down here praying, Lord Jesus, please be with him. Lord Jesus. This morning we're going to look at John chapter 20, the outline of the book. And see, i got to give you this road map in case we don't get all the way there, okay? You know where you can end up, okay? He is risen. We're going to look at the empty tomb this morning. That's why we're Christians, because of the empty tomb that Jesus has resurrected. We're going to look at verses 10 through 18, that He appeared to Mary. And there's lots of Marys in the audience this morning. And you're going you're gonna to enjoy that part of the story. And then He appeared to His disciples and gave them purpose and meaning in the Great Commission. And then He appeared to Thomas. And oh, there's lots of Thomases this morning. And we're going to connect and relate and appreciate Thomas this morning because he's like you and me. What are the resurrection theories? You know, they're, they're, they're amazing. Because there's an empty tomb, if you haven't read this book, if you don't have a rock-solid conviction that Jesus is alive, and that is the foundation that you can live your life on, that's the hope that you can have, that when you die, you can go somewhere else. I, I work in a hospital one night a week, and, I, and all I do is get, go to traumas, accidents in the emergency room, and to deaths. And so I've seen a lot of deaths in the last three years, and I've seen a lot of pain, a lot of heartache, and a lot of suffering. And it's so amazing to me, people that have faith in the resurrection, that have hope for the future, they can die. And they can die peaceful deaths. And the ones that don't, hang on, and hang on, and hang on, and nobody can understand why they don't just let go. It's because they're so afraid. They have no hope. You and I, brothers and sisters, we have hope. The Lord is alive. The Lord has gone before us. He's the firstborn from the dead. He's resurrected and He's proven to us. It's a fact that we're going to go where He is. Amen? It's a fact. When all else fails in your life, when life is just tough, just play this tape. At least I'm going to heaven. At least the next life is going to be better than this one. It's going to be. And it's going to be a lot longer. The resurrection theories is that he didn't really die. You know, do you believe that? The Romans just couldn't kill him. They're just not very good killers. They conquered the world. They killed, you know, anybody they wanted to all across the known world at that time. But they weren't... 
able to kill this surrendered, non-defensive, non-combatant Jew. You know? Well, you know, those carpenters, they're pretty tough dudes. Especially when they have their hammer. The swoon theory that he wasn't really dead. He got beaten all night. He got scourged, which kills most people before they're crucified. He's put on a cross to asphyxiate for his, his, his chest cavity to fill up with fluid so that his lungs are constricted so he cannot breathe. So he drowns it in his own fluid. And so he's hanging so he can't lift himself up to be able to take a breath. And so he suffocates and he drowns. The Romans knew how to really torture somebody to death. This was not a pretty death. This was not an easy death or a, slow, uh, a, long, a short death. This was a long, slow, agonizing, terror-stricken death. And then to make sure he was dead, they stabbed him in the heart, right through the side. That fluid was all that liquid and the blood of the heart of Jesus Christ. He didn't swoon. Well, did the Romans steal the body just to sort of undermine the teaching of the Christians and to desecrate the body? People desecrate bodies all the time. Did the Romans take the body? Well, if they would have, they then would have drug him out in public later whenever the Christians were preaching resurrection to show that it was all just a lie. No, they didn't have the body. They would have used that body later on. Did the Jews steal the body? No, for the same reason. Sure, they might have wanted to desecrate Jesus. They were so angry they had Him crucified. They were so bitter towards Jesus for threatening their power and position that they had Him killed. But if they had the body, they would have brought Him forth too. Did the disciples steal the body just so that they could claim He was resurrected? Just so they could claim that, you know, and preach and change the world that uh, the Lord is alive. You know, no. These weren't false people. These were fearful people we're going to see. That doesn't make sense either. The only one that makes sense is the resurrection of Jesus. Read the book by Morrison, Who Moved the Stone. I read that in college, and I decided to be a disciple of Jesus Christ. Who moved the stone? God moved that several ton stone away. And the Lord is alive, and we're going to see what John said about it. John chapter 20, verse 1. Open up your Bible, look at the words, realize that I'm just not making it up. It's all true. Early on the first day of the week, while it was still dark, Mary Magdalene went to the tomb and saw that the stone had been removed from the entrance. So she came running to Simon Peter and the other disciple, the one Jesus loved, and said, They have taken the Lord out of the tomb. We don't know where they put Him. You know, why was Mary the first one there? When you've been forgiven much, you love much. Mary had been so sinful. A prostitute. Probably because she'd been maybe abused, raped, scarred, and no person would take her, so she had to live, she had to survive, so she began to sell herself. And then the Bible says that she became demon-possessed. When you start opening yourself up 
to the dark side, to evil, to wickedness, Satan enslaves and overtakes. Jesus came along and He drove out those demons. He forgave her of her sin. She had been forgiven much. She had changed radically. She had changed more probably than most of us in here. Some of you maybe have changed as much. Some people thought you were demon-possessed before you are a Christian. I don't know, you know. That's up for debate. You're laughing because you're one of those people I'm talking about, aren't you? I am too. Ask Mike McDaniel. All right? He grew up with me. Mike tells a story. I hate for him to tell this story, so I'm going to tell it on myself so he can't talk behind my back anymore. All right? Mike and I went to high school. He said, yeah. Greg, you used to just lean up against the trophy case and stare at us as we all walked by. Make fun of different people. And you had this look in your eye. It just was a blazing fire of anger and hatred. And then you went off to college. And I was a couple years behind you and I came to college and that look was gone. And you asked me to go to church. And I about fainted. And you asked me to study the Bible. And the only reason I did is because I was curious that something had changed in you. See, I had been pretty demon-possessed by the demon of anger and hatred. And the Lord took it away. The resurrection of Jesus Christ is going to describe that power for each and every one of you. Oh, Mary Magdalene, don't you love her? She was the first to the tomb. Were you the first at church this morning? We've got to just make everything personal. Bring it home. All right? Let's keep reading, okay? Verse 3. So Peter and the other disciples started for the tomb. Both were running, but the other disciple outran Peter and reached the tomb first. He bent over and looked at in at the stripes of linen lying, but, uh, but did not go in. Why? He's afraid of caves, huh? How come he didn't go in and see if Jesus was in there? Why run if you don't want to go in? A lot of curious questions. Well, you're the doctor. Answer the question. No, I just raised the question. Verse 6. When Simon Peter, who was behind him, arrived and went into the tomb, he saw the stripes of linen lying there, as well as the burial cloth that had been around Jesus' head. The cloth was folded up by itself, separated from the linen. Finally, the other disciple, who had reached the tomb first, also went inside. He saw and, what does it say? Believed. He believed. They still did not understand from Scripture that Jesus had to rise from the dead. Why does John want to include all this information about this linen and the the clothes that Jesus has been buried in? Because he wants you and I to know that Jesus was not in those clothes. That Jesus had been in that tomb, but he wasn't anymore. The tomb was empty. He wants to give us evidence. He wants to give us proof that the Lord was resurrected on Easter morning. Amen? I believe it. I probably haven't convinced you completely completely yet, so let's keep going. Amen? Alright? Let's keep reading. It's good stuff. Verse 10. Then the disciples went back to their homes, but Mary stood around outside the tomb crying. And as she wept, she bent over to look into the tomb. Now let's just not gloss over that. Sometimes we we read the Bible too quick. We're worried about getting to lunch, and so we don't savor these morsels. 
It says Mary stood outside crying. You know, you only cry when you when your heart's been torn and you've suffered loss. She just can't imagine a world without Jesus. She can't imagine how she's going to go forward. She's in grief. She loved the Lord. The Lord made her whole. The Lord gave her hope that she was the first one there because she needed what Jesus gave her. Even if He was dead, she's going to do vigil outside that tomb because that's going to give her strength. And she's got to work through her grief. And so she's outside crying in verse 12 and saw two angels in white seated where Jesus' body had been. See, sometimes it's good to seek the Lord. Some of us, we sort of got to get pulled to the Lord, driven to the Lord, all right? But others, we seek the Lord. That's the way to do it. She was seeking the Lord, and so she got to see two angels, one at the head and the other at the foot. Verse 13, they ask her, woman, why are you crying? Dumb question. But angels, they don't understand how we think sometimes, all right? <laughs> they, had ta- they have taken my Lord away. She doesn't believe He's resurrected yet. They just think the body's stolen. And I don't know where they have put him. And at this, she turned around and saw Jesus standing there. Isn't that who she came to see? She'd come to see him, but she did not realize that it was Jesus. When you're in grief, when you're hurting, when you're in pain, you're disoriented, you're confused, and you don't see the world properly. And when you got tears in your eyes, things are a little blurred. But really, when your mind doesn't believe in resurrection, then if Jesus were standing here this morning right in front of you, you wouldn't believe it. Some of you are struggling with the significance and the power of the resurrection because your mind is blocked. You don't, you've never seen anybody raised from the dead. You weren't there when Lazarus was raised. And so you're, you just, you just really do struggle with supernatural things happening, with spiritual events occurring. You're so indoctrinated with some things. Well, have you ever been to a birth? You ever been there when someone was born? That was sure supernatural. First there was, there was one life with a really big tummy, and then all of a sudden there's two lives. When my kids were born, I started believing in miracles. You know? I started believing in miracles. It wasn't just, I mean, how did that person all of a sudden become unique? Wow. And I just told little Mandy, Mandy Mandy came a month early. I barely made it back for her birth. I was off speaking somewhere. I got interrupted right in the middle of the speech just like this. And they said, they said, you got to go to the hospital. Your, your wife's having the baby. I said, okay, I'm almost done. I said, no, you got to go right now. I said, okay, well, I'll leave the notes. Somebody take over. And I walked out. So if I walk out this morning, I guess I'm having another baby. All right? No, it's not going to happen. Uh, not at my age. All right? No, no. Well, of course, that would be a miracle. I better not say nothing. It won't happen. But I used to hold her, and she fit right here. She was a little bit of a preemie. She just fit right there. I don't think it was quite as big as then as it is now. That was 25 years ago. But I just would hold her in amazement. Life. 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 New life. 
That's what God offers. New life. Spiritual new life. Oh, we're foolish not to take advantage of it. Stay with me here. Verse 13. Alright? No, verse 15. Woman. That's how Jesus talked, you know. (laughs) Woman, he said. Why are you crying? Ooh, I shouldn't have said that was a dumb question those angels ask. (laughs) Who is it that you're looking for? Thinking he was the gardener, she said, Sir, if you have carried him away, tell me where you have put him, and I will get him. Jesus said to her, Mary. Mary. She turned toward him, and she cried out in Aramaic, Rabboni, teacher! And Jesus said, Do not hold on to me, for I have yet not yet returned to the Father. Go instead to my brothers and tell them I am returning to my Father and your Father to my God and your God. Mary Magdalene went to the disciples with the news. I have seen the Lord. And she told them that He had said these things to her. Have have you heard the Lord say your name? Greg? The blinders fall off when the Lord says your name. Mandy, Libby, Angela. The Lord called you. He calls everyone. He promises that promise to every single person. He knows your name. Moretzky's a hard one. <laughs> Used to play football. They'd announce it to the whole city. Martuski! Marwitzki! Marwitzki! It's not that hard. Mar-rut-ski. I almost took the rut out once. I thought about changing my name if I ever got somewhere. <laughs> to just Martski. Take the rut out of it. Greg. I have two G's on the end. I stuttered as a child. Stop laughing. <laughs> the Lord knows our name. He says our name over and over and over and over until we hear Him. Samuel. 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 You know that story. Mary. 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 And she saw him, and she put the hug on him, the vice on him. It wasn't the side Christian hug, you know. It was the hug. And he's like, he's getting squeezed. He says, Mary, i got to go to the Father. Let go. i got something else to do. It's starting to get uncomfortable. We've hugged for a while now, Mary. Go tell the disciples I'm alive, alright? And she goes and tells them. And then what happens? Oh, don't you love the Easter story? Let's keep going. Verse 19. On the evening of that first day of the week, when the disciples were together with the doors locked, for what? Fear. Why are the disciples afraid the Lord's alive? They haven't seen it. 
They still have that blockage in their mind like some of us. For fear of the Jews, when Jesus came and stood among them, He said to them, Peace, peace be with you. After He had said this, He showed them His hands and His side. The disciples were overjoyed when they saw the Lord. Again, Jesus said, Peace be with you. As the Father has sent me, I am sending you. And with that, He breathed on them and said, Receive the Holy Spirit. If you forgive anyone his sins, they are forgiven. And if you do not forgive them, they are not forgiven. Guys, what the resurrection tells me is you and I have a problem. Now, don't get defensive on me. We like getting defensive towards preachers. So I'm going to calm my voice and talk very gently, like a counselor now. All right? We've got a problem. It's a lack of peace. We're always so anxious. Anxiety just runs through our vein. Worry, stress, burdens. We're not at peace. Oh, I'm not accusing you. I got the same problem. I grew up in school chewing my pencils. I was a weird kid. It's because Dad was so mad at home, and every time he'd come home, we were afraid he'd find something wrong, and he might even hit somebody. So I stuttered and I chewed my pencil. Praise God for the new plastic Bic pencils, you know what I mean? (laughs) I wouldn't have quite such issues. We lack peace. But this morning I'm telling you where you can find it. Focus on that empty, hollow tomb. The Lord's alive. In this world, I may never, I may never totally settle out. I try. The older I get, it seems like during the day I can be peaceful, but it comes back at night sometimes. I used to sleep through the night, wear myself out during the day, sleep through the night. Now, three o'clock in the morning, boy, I gotta do this, gotta do this, gotta pay my daughter's student loans. Wonder who they're gonna marry. I hope I like them. I used to beat people up. I wonder if I'm going to get angry at those boys. (laughs) God have mercy on That's probably why they can't get a boyfriend, you know. My (laughs) reputation precedes me, you know. I love to hear the Lord say to me, Peace be with you, Craig. And the Lord's saying it to each one of us this morning. Go from Easter service at peace. Stop yelling at your kids. Stop yelling at your wives. Stop being mad at your neighbors. Find peace in Jesus, the resurrected Lord. Amen. And then he commissioned some. Peace be with you. I'm sending you. Receive the Holy Spirit. If you forgive sins, they're forgiven. If you don't forgive them, they won't be forgiven. We have some responsibility because we believe in resurrection. We need to go and bless other people. Peace be with you. We're called and we're being sent. 
because of the resurrection. But we're empowered. We got the, we got the Holy Spirit. We're pretty, we're pretty awesome. You know? Christ in you, the Bible says. The hope of glory. You got power. Ooh, the force is with me. And the force is strong in this one right there. The force is strong in that one. The force is strong in this room. The good force, not that made-up force, right? And what is that force to do? To go say your sins are forgiven. Every once in a while, we just need to bless each other and say, Brother, you're feeling guilty. You're looking like you still have shame. Your sins are forgiven. Pray with me right now. Let's go to the Lord. Let's get rid of that guilt. Let's get rid of that shame. Sister, you're pure. I don't care what's happened before. You've been baptized in the blood of the Lamb, and now your sins are forgiven. Live like it. God lifted you back up from the the mud and the mire, and you're up on this pedestal. You're up on this throne. Brother, sister, live like it. Amen? Anybody got any scars this morning? You've been living such lives that you don't ever bump into anything. You don't have any scars. I got all kinds of scars. I got this one right here on the knee from the Schwinn Stingray accident over at Broadway School. Oh, we had a great jump going. and You had to jump, but then you had to land right before you hit the front door of the, the building. You had to hit your brakes. Then you had to turn off to the left or you are just going to splat. And Boy, we had it down and our little stingray. One day I splatted. You know, about 15 stitches right there. That's a good scar. There's another one a little more embarrassing. It's not quite as cool a story. A cow scared me. <laughs> fell off a barbed wire fence. And got this big old hole in my leg. Had to have about 40 stitches, but sort of hard to, you know, I wasn't shot in the war, you know. People look, what is that on the back of your leg? That's a, that's a scar. I don't like to tell how I got that one. Got one right here between my, next to my ring, through a board. Had a bad attitude towards my daddy. Made me tear down this fort. I thought it was a beautiful fort. I thought it was part. It really added to the landscape of our house. I thought, you know, it made me tear it down on my birthday of all days. So I had an attitude. Throwing the boards, tearing them down, throwing the boards, tearing them down, throwing the boards. One board fought back. Ripped the biggest hole. I got this cool scar now. Got this one right here. and That was a hangover scar. That one's for not going to church Sunday morning. I worked Sunday morning at the grocery store, stocking the beer shelves, because you got paid time and a half. And that beer reminded me of the night before. Ugh. It was nauseating, so I'm cutting the boxes. So I look at that scar and say, go to church, Greg. (laughs) Jesus used his scars. Good thing about scars, they tell a story. 
They tell a story. And their wounds that are no longer wounds, they're wounds that have healed. Embrace your scars this morning. Some of you were inflicted with lots of wounds through life. I talked to a young man at the University of Missouri last week. He told me his childhood it broke my heart. Ugh! Some people shouldn't be parents. And this kid just telling me, it's hard for me to overcome my past. I'm so scarred. I mean, just beaten and drugs and abuse and neglect. And he finally ran away when he was 12. He says, you know, he loves God and he loves people. But he says, you know, I just got all these scars. I don't know how to deal with them, Greg. So hopefully I helped a little bit, but embrace them. I said, there's scars because... You're not wounded anymore. You're gone from that situation. you got scars, but they just tell what a strong person you are now. Listen to Jesus describe His scars. Verse 24. Now Thomas called Didymus, one of the twelve, was not with the disciples when Jesus came, so the other disciples told him, we've seen the Lord. But he said to them, unless I see the nail marks in his hands and put my fingers where the nails were I and put my hand into his side, I will not believe it. I'm not going to believe in resurrection. I believed the whole story. I swallowed the whole thing before. I was a zealot. They call me Thomas the Zealot. And I gave my whole heart and soul and I believed in the dream. I believed we would evangelize the world in our generation and it all hasn't happened and my dreams have been shattered and I'm discouraged and I thought I would marry a good Christian. Whatever your dreams are, you're like Thomas this morning if you haven't healed. And you need to embrace the scars of Jesus. A week later, His disciples were in the house again and Thomas was with them. Though the doors were locked, Jesus came and He stood among them and He said the same thing. Peace. The first hippie. Peace. It's a good thing. I was a hippie. I didn't turn to drugs. I didn't turn to sex. I turned to Jesus. I'm a child of the 60s. I believe the only way to change the world, not politics, you know, and not sexual revolution, and not drugs, and not escape, you know, on LSD. But change people with Jesus. Peace, baby. All right? Peace. That's what that symbol of the cross means. It means peace. Victory. Say whatever you want. All right? Verse 27, Then he said to Thomas, Put your finger here. See my hands. Reach out your hand and put it in my side. Stop! 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 Doubting and believe. Thomas fell to his knees and said, My Lord, my God, when you stop doubting, you worship. When you stop doubting, you stop being defensive. You stop being superficial. You stop being cold and sober and hard. And you bow down and you worship. You lay down. Say, Jesus is Lord, my Lord, my God. It's because of the scars of Jesus. You and I have scars from the past, but we've been healed by the resurrection, the blood of the Lamb, and we can move forward. Amen.
it's okay to say you have scars because it means you don't have open wounds anymore. You've been healed. And those scars are evidence of your healing. All right? Amen. Stop doubting and believe. And Jesus told him, because you have seen me, you believe. Blessed are those who have not seen and yet believe. And then John sums up his book again. Jesus did many other miraculous signs of the presence of his disciples, which are not recorded in this book, but these are written that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that by believing you may have life in his name. Brothers and sisters, friends and neighbors, believe in Jesus this morning. Believe so you can have life, whole life, full life, abundant life, eternal life. Believe. Stop doubting. That's why we hold back. That's why we're not passionate. That's why we're, we're not where maybe we, we need to be or want to be. Let Easter mark the time from this day forward that you don't stay crippled, wounded, discouraged, but completely restored. I promised I'd share all of the book of John with you. And so I'll share very quickly chapter 21. It's about the effect of the resurrection on Peter. They, even though they heard Thomas get re- admonished and rebuked, there still was some doubt. So they went back to their old life. Peter went back to fishing. And yet when you go back, God always makes it empty. They didn't catch a thing. They didn't catch a thing. When you go back to the world, the world doesn't want you anymore. They've moved on. They don't trust you. And God still loves you. And so he's going to make it tough to leave him. And so Peter and the guys, they fished. And they didn't catch anything. Jesus comes to them from the shore and he says, Fish the right side. And they're thinking, we fished the right, the left, the front, the back. We fished every side all night long. He said, you haven't fished the right side. They'd fished the right side. they catch 153 fish. How do you know that, Greg? They counted them. And they weren't little minnows. They're big old fish. It's a fish story. Big old fish. All right? They caught all these fish and they're all fired up because fish meant wealth. God was blessing them. All right? And so they come in. Jesus says, come, have breakfast. Bring some of that fish. Let's eat some breakfast. And, you know, it's one of those awkward moments. He really is alive. And he's just sitting here. And we're just eating fish. Wow, this is surreal. He was killed the other day. And he died. And we went to his funeral. And now he's alive. Wow, this is wild. This is blowing my mind. All right? But pass me a little more fish. This is good. All right? They had this awesome fish fry. And then they start walking along. And Peter's feeling guilty because he's, he's not really believed. And he denied the Lord. And your past always catches up to you. And so he's walking along and he's a little sheepish and he's sort of beside the Lord. And the Lord says, Peter, do you love me? Yes, Lord, you know I love you. Jesus says, feed my sheep. And they're walking some more and Jesus says, Peter, are you sure you love me? Yes, Lord, you know I love you. Then feed my sheep. And then they're walking along a little further, and then Jesus says to him, Peter, do you even like me? It's 
what it literally means in the Greek. Do you even like me? Do you like me? Sometimes words are cheap. I love you. But you sure don't act like it. You act like you're mad at me and you don't even like me. I love the Lord. But you're really inconsistent coming to church and sharing your faith and doing things. I believe in the resurrection. I love you, Lord. But boy, I sure don't like other Christians. Do you like me? Jesus says, feed my sheep. Peter got defensive there. Lord, you're making it tough on me here. What about him? Points to John. And Jesus says, don't worry about him. We're talking about you right now. You're on the hot seat. I'm discipling you right now. I'll disciple him later. Poor John got discipled later. He got boiled in oil. He got discipled, all right? Peter is restored. And the last thing Jesus says to him, follow me. That's what we do with the resurrection this morning, brothers and sisters. We follow Jesus, all right? Why? Because he's alive. That's why we follow Jesus. Because he's not dead. He's not in the tomb. It's not just some ancient story. He's resurrected this morning. And you and I need to renew our vows of discipleship. Will you follow Jesus this morning? All the way. People will do crazy things. I'm maybe asking you to really go crazy this morning. Asking you to be as fired up as you've ever been for the Lord. Chicago had a Chicago radio station, KWOW, had a contest. We'll give $100,000 to whoever comes up with the most outrageous thing that $100,000. A guy promised to eat a nine-foot spruce tree. And so they decided to give him the $100,000 if he did it. So they laid out this tree on a table. He wore a, a tux. He came all dressed up. And he, he ate the whole tree. He went into the hospital for weeks after that. Because the bark is worse than the bite. What would you do for $100,000? More importantly this morning, what would you just do for the promise of peace? What would you do for the promise of eternal life? Will you claim Jesus as Lord? Will you live for Him? Will you serve Him? If you will, take up communion in a moment and renew your vows to the Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. I'll pray for the blessing of the Lord's Supper. God and Father, we bow before You now. And we want to communion with You. You've invited us to Your table. You've invited us all. You've said our name and said, Come eat of My body. Come drink of my blood. Come get renewed in your salvation. Come eat the sacred meal and leave here as if you'd never sinned before. Leave here one with me and one with each other. United in Jesus Christ with purpose to forgive sins. Father, we pray that as we take of communion this morning, we would commune 
we would connect with you. Thank you for the resurrection of Jesus Christ. Thank you for life. Thank you for new life. In Jesus' name we pray.